This is Caregiver's Compass, an uplifting podcast all about the ins and outs of caregiving for a loved one. Tips, tricks, true stories, and experts. It's all here on Caregiver's Compass. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Caregiver's Compass. My name is Stephanie Muscat. I am a registered social worker and psychotherapist. Please note that this episode is not the act of psychotherapy. So today we have Molly Robinson. Molly is a registered dietitian. She lives in Kentucky, but right now she is doing virtual care for at-home caregivers and their dietic needs. So thank you so much, Molly, for being here. And why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to to be here to chat. Um, I'm a registered dietitian. I started my career a long time ago with a, a the entire first decade in long-term care and memory care. So I also had my own grandmother with Alzheimer's dementia. So it's really fueled a passion. So that's why I'm here uh, to help caregivers. I offer caregiver coaching for at-home caregivers for hopefully filling that gap in, in the care as far as nutrition specific information goes. So I know when I'm working in the hospital, uh, we have obviously a dietitian on our team. We have a speech language pathologist among others, and there are a lot of myths going around in terms of, you know, one size fits all with dietitian and nutrition. What are some of the top myths that you see that maybe your clients are being told by their physician or whoever else? Mm -hmm. Yes. So that is definitely a common thing. I think that that one size fits all mentality seems to maybe be the first impression that family and loved ones get with dementia, especially outside of the care facility. So one of the things that you'll see me talk about a lot is the supplement use. So talking about those pre-bottled at home um, or on the shelf supplements that like Boost and Ensure, that's typically one of the very first recommendations that's given, especially when a loved one says my, you know, my mom is not eating. Oh, give her Boost or Ensure. So that's probably the biggest one. And that can certainly work for a lot of people. I'm not against it, but there are just so many other avenues to go down and things to sort of check off to troubleshoot, uh, which doesn't always happen, you know, with, with that one doctor visit. So there's a lot more of us and it's a whole team to help care for, for the person with dementia. That's a good point. Actually, when my mom was discharged from hospital in May, she had some swallowing difficulties and one of the first things they said was give her boost and that that was one of the only things she could eat. And so my dad said, what do you mean? She can only have boost. Like she likes to eat all these other things. And they said, yeah, boost and then liquid with thickener. And so, (laughs) and my mom loves food. Like she's a food type person. And I don't think that that would have fit all of her, you know, dietary needs. So luckily my dad's quite resourceful and and myself, and we got a dietitian to come in the home to do an assessment. But unfortunately, the majority of, of individuals who are discharged from the hospital and being told this information, they don't know any differently. And they'll just go by that and say, okay, I guess all my loved one can have is boost for the rest of my life. What are, you know, let's say that somebody is, is told that and they're sent home 
do they, I know you're in Kentucky, but how might they reach out to, you know, a public or private dietitian, let's say in your area specifically, so that they can get other recommendations at home? Right. So first step might be going through the care provider to ask for a referral for a dietitian. All dietitians will be proficient in the nutrition aspect of things, but maybe not all of us have worked in long-term care or specialized in dementia care. So you could ask for the referral, but I would also add, ask for speech therapy referral, especially if there's something going on with the swallowing. So really both of those professions would be, our disciplines would be useful in terms of a referral. Otherwise, there is, so the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has a record of all of us, so we're all registered dietitians, so we have to um, sort of go through that credentialing process. So in your specific area, you could simply even go to Google and type in registered dietitian in my area. So that may be also another avenue. For folks in my area, if you want to get in touch with me, I think probably the easiest way is DementiaNutrition.com, and that gives you a link to my Instagram the site center construction, but there's also an application to be able to get in contact with me. Perfect. Yeah. And I'll put all of that um, in the show notes as well, because you're such a good resource for people all over the place. And it's not location specific, of course. And when you are seeing these individuals who let's say they're only eating boost and they're really refusing other food, for example, and I know it's, it's very specific to the individual, but let's say they're refusing food and the family thinks, oh, well, they must be dying because they don't want to eat anything. And, you know, are you seeing that there is a big behavioral component and emotional component with the eating? And, you know, how might you work on that in general with a family? There definitely can be a behavioral component. We have to recognize that taste preferences and even texture preferences change and they vary widely. So it may be, you know, in early dementia, maybe it hasn't changed much, but as they progress through those different stages, you may see someone preferring those liquid drinks to something that's actually uh, more of a solid food. In that case too, I would kind of recommend the speech therapy evaluation they just may be able to give you more insight because maybe it's something with the function of their swallow or maybe it's teeth are not great. They're having a hard time chewing. So they're just not really accepting of those foods right now. So like you said, it's, it's individual. It may be a temporary thing, but it also could be something more. And I think we also have to recognize that it's kind of a trial and error process. It may be accepted one day, those solid foods the next day, maybe something drinkable is more attractive to that person. So it can definitely fluctuate. There are so many more things than the boost and ensure at the start. And so we have to kind of rule those things out. But I have definitely seen that be one of the common trends that liquids are more preferred. It's really good to know that there are so many different options and that there are so many different facets to this. It's not just, you know, black and white in terms of what someone may want and, and what someone may not. And again, that's something that I think a lot of families are told ongoing, especially, you know, in long-term care when they're discharged. So it's so great to have you as a resource mm-hmm. for them. Absolutely. Are you also involved in palliative care and end-of-life care in terms of, you know, nutrition and, and what the person is eating or what might your role look like in that case? So in my present role with my private practice, I have I have not seen more of the palliative 
care side when I was in the care setting, absolutely. So that may be more of a role for if the person is on palliative care or in hospice, that would, they would probably have a dietitian involved. And that to me as a dietitian, I think many of us are the same. We want to promote the quality of life and safety of swallowing and everything that's going on with hydration and the food acceptance. And I think sometimes as difficult as, as it is, we know that at, at that stage in palliative care, it, it's sometimes we see that food intake slow down and it can be a sign of end of life being near. So we wanna keep that person as comfortable as possible. And I think one of the things as dietitian in that setting that I remember dealing with the most is helping the loved ones and the family understand that that if they're not going to choose to do extra measures like tube feeding and feeding them otherwise, they're not going to be in pain because of that, because of being withheld the food. So I think that role can vary for each individual, but the dietitian is more to help the family understand um, that we're going to keep the person comfortable and promote that quality of life and then kind of help work through those situations. And do you also do uh, virtual care with families who are involved with G-tubes and NG-tubes? At present, I don't have any any clients with that, but absolutely, I would be qualified to do that and help. You know, sometimes it's a supplemental type of thing where they are capable of eating. Maybe they're just not eating enough so that they're kind of doing both oral intake and the tube feeding. So we can we can definitely work with that. Okay. That's wonderful because I know that that can be so overwhelming for families and the client themselves. And really they're not sure what to do. And they're being sent home with these devices that weren't there before. And and it doesn't make sense to them. And unfortunately the education sometimes is lacking. So it's great to have such an incredible resource like you that can come in and say, you know, I'm here for you. I'll guide you through this you know, and you're part of the care team, as you've mentioned. So, you know, you work with other professionals in tandem. I know you spoke about the uh, speech pathologist, and I know there's also a lot of confusion in where I work as well between the differences of a speech language pathologist and a registered dietitian. What are the differences and how do you work together? I have such an appreciation for speech language pathologists. And I always said, you know, a speech therapist is a dietitian's best friend, especially in that care setting. So lots of respect there, but we do work hand in hand. So kind of a good way to think about it is that more of the swallow function, especially is going to be evaluated by the speech therapist. I, as a dietitian, will know, you know, those signs that if maybe someone's losing liquid out of their mouth or maybe something's happening in that process of eating, I am going to then say, let's have the speech therapist look at them for more of that inside tailored knowledge on that. We do do both work together to get strategies and mealtime tips and approach. So that's another thing in dementia that maybe the person isn't eating, but it's not necessarily their appetite. Maybe they're, you know, losing that ability to know what to do next. Maybe they're overwhelmed at the meal. So speech therapists and dietitians kind of work together to watch that process at mealtime. And we're both qualified to identify, okay, maybe we just need a light cue here. Let's just, let's tap Larry's hand and say, take a bite so that we can prompt. So a lot of prompting and cueing, and that's part of the speech therapy process as well. 
Thank you for, for differentiating that, but also to explain how you work together. Because again, I think it's confusing for people and not knowing who does what, and it's so important to know. And on that topic too, I think people are confused between what a registered dietitian is versus perhaps, you know, a nutritionist, or they're, they're kind of on the internet looking for someone to help with, with caloric intake or feeding. And they see, you know, someone that got a certificate in some sort of feeding. What is the difference in terms of education and what are your qualifications versus maybe somebody that doesn't have what you have? So registered dietitians, we have to go to school for a four-year bachelor degree in dietetics. And beyond that, we will have an internship where we are immersed in different settings to learn, you know, a little bit about everything. And that usually lasts eight to 12 months for most of us. Now dietitians, I'm, I'm grandfathered in because I've been one for so long, but newer dietitians will also have a master's degree. So we can then after that, we can sit for an exam that we pass nationally, but we have to keep up with that with continuing educations. So each and every year, we have to have a certain amount to keep up to speed on, on our profession. We will almost always identify ourselves as a registered dietitian. We can also use that term nutritionist. So you may see it as RD for registered dietitian. You may see RDN for that nutritionist put on the end of it. There are certifications for some people. It might just be a month where you can take a class online and call yourself a nutritionist. So that I would be very cautious with. Even someone who maybe graduated with a degree in some kind of nutrition science, they can use that term nutritionist. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have valuable knowledge and information, but sometimes it, it is just a certificate. Dietitians can also counsel on uh, medical nutrition therapy. So if someone has diabetes or someone has high, high blood pressure, hypertension, we are qualified to help that person improve those conditions. Whereas maybe a health coach or nutritionist is not exactly qualified for that. Okay. That's good information for sure to differentiate. And as you mentioned before, your college or your certified body, someone can always go to the website and see if the person that they found is actually registered and meets the qualifications and the continuing education. Okay. Perfect. Yes. That's really good to know. Molly, this has been such an informative conversation. I'm so happy we had you here. And I think this will be so, so helpful for everybody listening. I know you mentioned that you have an Instagram, but what is this specific handle and where else can people find you? On Instagram, I am dementia.nutritionist and the website is dementianutrition.com. So either avenue would get you to me and we can have a chat if you're interested, just to let me know a little bit more about your loved one and how I might be able to help. Perfect. And you have the most informative information on your Instagram too. So I would highly recommend people check it out just if they want general information and then take that stuff to speak to you. So thanks again. It's been a pleasure and yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what you come up with next. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be here and happy to chat with you. Great. Take care. Thanks for listening to Caregiver's Compass. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. I'm Stephanie Muscat. Have an uplifting day and I'll see you next time.